Hello, my name is Marzena Farana Sherlock and I would love to welcome you to episode number 13 of Just Stories podcast. Today I'm meeting with Kim Ritchie. Kim has been flying microlights for 18 years, which included a mega flight to Italy. From what I gathered, she loves adventure and people. She also loves hill walking and over eight years ago, Kim joined Scottish Mountain Rescue, the Border Search and Rescue Unit. Today, we are meeting in Binning Wood in East Lothian, Scotland. We are walking through the woods, so you will hear various sounds, our footsteps, birds singing, planes flying and possibly the wind. Why have we met in the woods? We will reveal this during our conversation. I hope you will enjoy today's episode. Hi, Kim. I would like to ask you, what was your most memorable favorite flight and walking experience, hill walking experience? (laughs) Most memorable flight. Although Italy was brilliant, I was doing it with somebody else. So I think maybe the one I was most proud of was flying to Butte for the first time on my own. Because I was flying alongside another plane and I kind of lost him. And I was suddenly thinking, well, should I just turn back? to the airfield or should I be brave and just do it on my own and I decided to do it on my own and I was just so chuffed that I managed to find Butte and land there on my own so I think that was probably the one I'll be most proud of and remember most. <laughs> Did it take a long time to fly to Butte? Uh, not long. The plane that I had which was a bit slower than the one I have now was maybe two, two and a half hours of complete terror I may tell you you know because I was busy watching all my navigation points like a hawk and trying to sort of do it all properly but it's amazing sense of self-confidence once I'd done it. Just brilliant. And flying back, I would think. I don't remember that one at all because I think I was just on cloud nine. <laughs> yeah, I would be so high <laughs> if I've done it. Yeah. The way back probably would be just a long past memory. You also like hill walking. Yep, I would say, and my husband will cringe about this one, probably my most memorable one was we went, I met him through the flying club and we were just flying and walking buddies for a long time. And we decided we tried to organise a midsummer night hill walk and we thought we would go up Ben Hope which is the most northerly hill in Scotland because you get the most of the daylight up there and the two people we were going to do it with had to pull out and we just decided we would just go and do it on our own. We had a long drive up there and we took our two tents and camped at the bottom and decided to go up about 10 o'clock at night using my recently acquired night navigation skills because I just joined the search and rescue at that point. So we went up to the top and I produced a bivy shelter which is standard mountain rescue stuff but he had never seen one before and we got under that and had a wee dram and a toast midsummer night we came back down he held my hand coming down some rocky bits which was really nice and I think that's when the first stirrings started to happen so <laughs> but we went back to our separate tents and never thought any more about it that sowed the seed for my future life now <laughs> started with a heel walk and ended up with a love story it did yes <laughs> and shared passion because from what I know he flies as well. He does. He's now an instructor, which is at, at East Fortune. We both love that and we still both hill walk. He's not interested in joining Mountain Rescue though because he likes to hill walk and bag a top and come back down again and Mountain Rescue can be an awful lot of hanging about and slow walking and not getting to the top. And 
<laughs> getting diverted so it's good to have different interests as well as shared passions definitely i think it works for any kind of relationship <laughs> <laughs> and in terms of the rescue because you said you've tried your night navigation skills and it was over eight years ago or around yeah. years ago how did it happen that you've decided to join them join why i didn't even know it existed i had a long-term friend who i've known for years we had children together and looked after each other's children i hadn't seen her for ages and we met up to go for a walk and she said i've joined this mountain rescue group and i said who are they and she then started telling me a bit about it she started mentioning that you know it sort of really got you on top of your navigation and first aid training and four by four driving and helicopter winching and all sorts i thought this sounds really interesting you know <laughs> so it she sounds... encouraged me to join <laughs> it almost sounds like a scene from an action movie yes <laughs> although i'm not really I didn't consider myself as an action person but she just was quite enthusiastic about it and what i didn't know at the time as well was just how much about teamwork it is which is actually what the sustaining thing is for me that is the best thing about it it's just being part of a team and doing your wee bit and being acknowledged for it and i think that's just a brilliant feeling you know the people that are on the team are just the best people to spend time with and we do spend quite a lot of time together which is good <laughs> and going back to the beginning what skills that are required because you've just mentioned when she explained that to you it's navigation it's helicopter it's this it's that it sounds quite overwhelming if there's, somebody wanted to yeah, join there's a lot that we learn it's quite specialized it's stuff that you wouldn't come across in the normal thing so we don't expect new recruits to have all of those skills immediately what we do want them to do is just be self-sufficient and can look after themselves on a hill that's the first thing the last thing we need is to have to worry about one of our rescuers when you're trying to find somebody that's lost so some basic navigation is good but we do train a lot it's one of these things like all skills if you don't keep practicing it you get rusty so we practice in kind of more extreme like night navigation and whiteouts and low cloud and all that kind of thing slightly more challenging navigation techniques but we also will train you in first aid driving four by four vehicles rope work I didn't know anything I've never been rock climbing or anything before but I've learned a bit about that everybody has their own specialities in the team I think you know we've got the rock jocks we've got the first aiders we've got the really fit fast people that can get up a hill in 10 minutes and find somebody you just sort of find your niche as long as I know enough to be able to help the people that are setting up rigs and abseils and stretcher lowers then you know I can play my part in that as well we also do swift water how to be safe and fast running water and streams and things like that one of the things the team does which a lot of people don't realize is kind of resilience work so when there's bad weather or flooding or things like that the police can quite quickly get overwhelmed and they need a kind of group of volunteers that can work as a team and are a bit disciplined and aren't just kind of go off their own bats you know we will help with getting stuck vehicles out of snow or delivering medication or helping ambulances or driving key workers to their places of work so we do quite a bit of that so that's why we need to know about water safety we also do river searches for people bankside searches so not that we ever intend to fall in the river but in case we did we need to be able to look after ourselves and get out we also do sort of winter skills using ice axe and navigating and doing all the summer stuff but in the winter so setting up stretchers and snow belays and all that kind of thing so it takes a long time you're a probationer for over a year probably with a lot of training and that's something that you have to get used to and i thought that you did your training and then that was fine you just sat on the call out list and got called out but it's continual training because there's such a big range of skills you have to learn and you're not using them all the time so it's just constantly refreshing it's a big time commitment for it which I didn't realize would be as well 
But the benefit of the time commitment is that you're building your team and you're getting to know each other because you're spending all that time with each other. So you instinctively know what different people's skills are and what their strengths and weaknesses are. And that goes a long way to being able to kind of work when you're under kind of bad weather or stressful search or time pressures or anything like that. It's much easier to do that when you're doing it with people that you really know well. That was what nobody could have told me that that's what it was all about, but that is what it's all about. (laughs) The training and the practical skills, they are really important. But I think when I was looking at the website of Scottish Mountain Rescue, it said that there are over 800 volunteers which are divided in 25 teams. And the main focus was on the team building. Have you had people who just didn't fit? How does it work out then? Because quite, yeah, quite often we'll get people, they apply for different reasons. They'll send their application form in and they come on probation, which is basically on trial. And that's basically just to see as much whether they like what we're doing as much as whether we think they fit in. So over that year and 14 months, yes, you'll get some people that just suddenly find they can't put that time in. We're not necessarily looking for outdoor experts, people that run outdoor experience companies and things. You'd think they would be a brilliant fit and sometimes they're not because they're actually while we are good for them because it's good for them to say that they're with the Scottish Mountain Rescue team they often don't have the time to commit to us because they're busy running their outdoor experience companies and things so that can be difficult so if you can't commit the time we can't really carry people that can't attend the training regularly and stuff so there's usually comes to a mutual conclusion that somebody can't our last intake of six probationers there's two that had to drop out fairly quickly because they realised it was a bigger time commitment than they thought it was going to be so we try and warn them but nobody knows how how much it'll affect them until they do it (laughs) yeah and sometimes people just need to learn themselves and you've been talking about the team and how important it is to work with the team because of various skills people complement each other if you were to pinpoint from like your personal point of view what would be the most important bit that helps overcoming the issues within the team like the ingredient that brings team together the training is what overcomes all your insecurities and things like that so the more you can attend the training the more confident that you will be but i think the biggest thing that helps is probably just being able to admit you don't know and being able to say i can't do this bit or i'm a bit rusty on that bit what we absolutely do not need is somebody that will just go charging on oh yes i can do this i can do that either because they believe it themselves or they feel that that's what we need to hear because that's dangerous They can not only get themselves into trouble, but they could get their teammates into trouble as well. So I think it is just all about putting in the time, spending the time with people, being honest about what you can do and what you can't do. And gradually they'll start telling you if you're not that confident, they'll start saying, you know, let's have you because you're really good at this bit, you know, and you're like, oh, great, I finally, (laughs) I'm good at something. That can take quite a while, but it does come. What do you think you're particularly good at? Some people would say I'm team mum. I'm certainly the oldest female. We've got four girls on the team and I'm by far the oldest. The other nickname is Hugs with Drugs. (laughs) I really love the first aid. Scottish Mountain Rescue are unusual in that they have a kind of an advanced first aid certificate that some of us train for, which allows us to issue controlled drugs. We're the only civilians in Britain that can issue controlled drugs and Scottish Mountain Rescue hold the drugs licence for morphine and adrenaline. When you get this, what we call casualty care qualification, it means that we can administer that kind of thing on a call out. So I've done that and that's quite a tough assessment. There's maybe four or six of our team of 24 that have done it. I now take a lead in some of the training and first aid and kind of look to a wee bit, I think, as having experience in that. So that 
that suits my personality because I just love making people better and looking after people. And, <laughs> and you make it sound really easy, but there must be a huge responsibility lying within making that decision in a moment when the pressure is huge because it's time, it's someone's well-being, it's the team, it's yourself. Definitely, it is a massive amount of pressure and that's one reason why we always work in pairs and we always seek the value of somebody else, even if they're not a casualty carer, but we've all done first aid. I will always bounce off my thoughts against whoever I'm with, you know, and we'll come to a mutual decision. I think that's really important to be able to do that and share the load with it. It goes back to the teamwork, trust that you built with your partner. Do you have a partner on each call-out or you swap the team members within the team? How does it work? Depend primarily on who can attend a call-out life get in the way so out of 24 people maybe 12 to 15 would turn out on a, a call out on any one night your group that you've turned out with can be different but we do sort of sort ourselves out into regional groups what we call sticks and i'm with a kind of a northern stick because our area covers from east lothian right down to the eastern scottish borders so we've got people in kelso and more battle and jedborough down in the borders and people in east lothian so the people that are kind of north of sutra we're the northerners is maybe six or seven of us because we're traveling the same distance we'll often end up being in a group and usually when a group arrive at a call out they'll be the ones that are sent out to a stick on a tasking kind of thing so in general can usually rely that i'm going to be with one or two northerners but sometimes i'm with people from the southern and sometimes we work with another team tweed valley mountain rescue or our neighboring team and sometimes we help each other out on call out so then i can be put in a stick with nobody that i know and that's quite difficult i don't feel i can contribute as much in that way <laughs> the more i do it obviously the more they get to know me and I am a bit of a Kent face in some of them but I still don't feel as comfortable with them as I do with my own just because we don't know each other as well. One of the things is the whole team I don't mind who I get tasked with I just love them all and I know what they all can do and things so because I've been on it for nine years now so (laughs) that helps as well a lot. (laughs) Knowing people definitely helps and what's the commitment because I read that in theory you need to be available 24 hours per seven 365 (laughs) days a year and in majority it's voluntary positions so how do you build that commitment and what it is first of all you're at a time of life that you've got that bit of time self-employment helps probably quite a lot although it can hinder but at least with my self-employment I have a website business so that stuff I can kind of often do time shift you know I don't have to do that nine to five I'm not that great at night but I will I will come out to some night call outs but different people can often dovetail in at different times so people that are working full-time sometimes their employers in general it's quite a good thing for a company to employ somebody from mountain rescue volunteer because although yes they will disappear from their desk on a call out at the last minute you've got somebody that's actually quite well trained in decision making and being resourceful and being able to think on their feet a bit and being able to act under pressure and naturally a good team player and in a lot of jobs that's all very important skills so there is that payback and if you're not available you're not available the drink driving laws and that kind of thing we're not all absolute saints so sometimes the numbers can be a bit light after a good rugby match or something like that you just do what you can and there's also just the regular time commitment of certainly once a week there's either a meeting or training evening we have one day a month which is a full day of training one of the big things our team are doing well all teams have to fundraise 
libraries, the registered charities. We get a small amount of government funding to help with kind of basic, which comes through Police Scotland and a grant which Scottish Mountain Rescue distribute amongst the teams, but it's not enough to keep the team going. So we have to do fundraising. One of the ways that we do that is offering first aid cover for off-roadie type events, things like hill races and also in the borders. They have, I don't know if you've heard of the rideouts. So there's a tradition, <laughs> there's a tradition in the borders of festivals during the summer, one week or two weeks, and it's mainly horse-based. And what they're mainly doing is kind of riding all the trails and byways. And I think there's a bit of a bylaw that if any public way, as long as it's used once a year, remains a public right-of-way. So this is a kind of a way of re-establishing a lot of the rights-of-way, and it's off-road, so it's like two or three hundred horses ride old railway tracks and across fields and byways, go from local villages and have little ceremonies. We cover them. Horses, especially two or three hundred horses in a big group, can be quite dangerous. As the day wears on, people that haven't been used to riding, we get quite a few accidents, people falling off or being thrown by horses, and we follow them in our Land Rovers. We can go off-road and we can be on site very quickly if somebody gets thrown from a horse and we can help. They acknowledge the help that we give them by giving us a donation in return for doing that. It also gives us experience in first aid and being unseen first really when there's something happens. Edinburgh has a ride out. It hasn't had it for the last couple of years with the Covid but there's a called the Edinburgh Marches. They finish up riding up through the high street. 300 horses going up the Royal Mile is quite a sight. So the fundraising, that's another massive because they take all day, you know, so a whole day of sitting in a Land Rover waiting for somebody to fall off a horse can be quite a thing. <laughs> so there's it being involved in all of that as well. We also, you know, organise discos or races, sponsored walks, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, there's still more time commitment really to getting involved in that. And your particular team, Border Search and Rescue Unit, you've been trying to fundraise for a particular thing because you don't guys have a base. We're one of the few teams that don't have a permanent base. A lot of people have old fire stations or ambulance stations or old churches for whatever reason I think maybe because we're not in a very populous area. We've got a prefab garage which is rented on the Kelso Racecourse land. It's not insulated, it's not heated. We do have power to it and water but that's about it. We use it for training, we store all our kit in it. It's not good for keeping defibrillators because it's so cold, the batteries all die. They're very expensive to replace. So we've been looking for about the last five years because our lease is is a limited time period lease. You know, we don't know whether we'll get that renewed so we have been looking desperately for a permanent base. We have finally now bought a plot of land just outside Kelso and we're trying to fund raise to build ourselves a proper base. Nothing fancy just somewhere where we can keep our vehicles. We've got three vehicles and a control trailer which at the moment one of them has to be kept at the police station because we don't have room for them all so that increases our call out time. We'd like to be able to keep our vehicles in one place have our kit in secure warm storage where it's not sitting wet or damp or getting cold and preferably a room that we can do training as well. We'd also like to do kind of a bit of training in the community you know first aid training for community and we don't have a resource to do that either so we have to hire rooms when we want to run any training courses and things so it would just be good to have a presence. We're one of the oldest mountain rescue teams, we've been going since 1963. We're the first mountain rescue team in the south of Scotland and one of the last possibly to get a base. (laughs) We've had some grant funding we've had a very generous legacy so on a bit of a knife edge trying to get enough to get ourselves building and this last year hasn't helped because we haven't been able to do any fundraising at all, even just for our running costs. How can people help when the events are not happening? 
anybody, if anybody wants to do anything like a sponsored walk and raise money for us, we'd be very grateful for that. We've got a vehicle for doing that on the website. We've got donations and we can set up a sponsorship page and a campaign for you and that kind of thing. Even just spreading the word, telling people about us and what we do, you know, encouraging charitable donations from in wills and that kind of thing as well. You know, just a tiny percentage of somebody's legacy could make quite a big difference to us. And of course, it's tax efficient as well and that kind of thing so just trying to kind of open people's eyes we often get people who we've rescued are often very the family can be quite generous and very grateful but you know you don't really want to rely on that Kim going back to call outs how does it look like you meet at the place where you've been called out to do you go to your base if someone listening thinks I would like to go through the training what can they expect when call out happens the call outs all come on your mobile phone now there used to be a pager and telephone trees but now we all have a kind of a central web run database thing that you you get the call out through that the police will call us out we don't just initiate a call out ourselves so somebody phones 999 and asks for mountain rescue basically or the police have a missing person ongoing and they think you know it's time to get mountain rescue in so they will put a call out and usually you will rendezvous at the nearest convenient place sometimes it can be a village hall sometimes it's just by the side of a road it's just wherever you could get vehicles parked hopefully get a bit of radio signal or telephone signal communication is obviously important we have a mobile trailer which is our control unit and it has a radio with a big aerial and everything so we can kind of set that up we've got a generator so we can kind of set that up some people have to go via our garage in Kelso so the people that are based down there will often say that they'll assemble at the garage to pick up vehicles and bring them up certainly if it's maybe like an East Lothian based call out as northerners will often just go straight to wherever the RV is and we'll kind of organise ourselves until the main because obviously it can be an hour before the rest of the team can get up with equipment and things but we can be doing hasty searches we might be able to even get to a casualty and give them some basic first aid and reassurance until we can get stretchers and things to be able to get them where they need to be we're often called out to help the ambulance service as well so you know if they can't get to somebody we'll help with them so they're sometimes on site as well you'll meet at a rendezvous sometimes it's just you sometimes it's you and a few of your local teammates but the police will be there or somebody will be there controlling and you'll either wait till there's enough of you to be deployed for a quick search or sometimes they'll send you straight out and say we need somebody just to check that bit of woodland out or that bit so as long as there's at least two of you there you can go off and start doing that we're all in communication with radios it's important to tell everybody where you are and what you're doing so that when the rest of the team come they all know what's been covered and what's not somebody takes over as as search manager it's often the team leader but we've got quite a few people as a kind of course that you do with Scottish Mountain Rescue that teaches you how to do search management which is basically all about thinking who you're looking for what are the likely scenarios it's a lot of statistics based things you know so a dementia person has a certain pattern of behaviour somebody that's depressed or maybe suicidal might have a certain pattern of behaviour working on all the information that you can get search managers are trained to kind of think about what the most likely places are that can be covered how many people you need to cover it how long it's going to take and just how to deploy logistics like how to get them there and back where to leave the transport even organising food we all are sufficient for eight hours of searching for the beginning of a call out but you know if it goes on longer than that we need fed and watered and rested and you know it's all about kind of just managing your team and making sure that they're all safe you say how long you can commit to the search managers will take that into 
into consideration and because we've got a pool of 24 of us plus four probationers there's often other people that couldn't come at the beginning but they can come a bit later on so it seems to balance itself quite well out we usually have a pretty good turnout for call outs <laughs> this is just stories podcast i'm marjana farana sherlock and i meet with people to find out about stories places and initiatives that are part of their history today i'm going for a walk with kim ritchie who has been volunteering for the border search and rescue unit that is part of the scottish mountain rescue kim spoke about the volunteers training and need for fundraising in the second part of this episode we will talk about overcoming fear the importance of teamwork how people can take care of their well-being and impacts of covid on various parts on mountain rescue how do you overcome fear i think that's probably again the training but again it's a team so the adrenaline gets going as soon as you're going but as soon as you cook up with one of your teammates you can actually start talking about it and voicing your fears and then just thinking about it and that goes a long way into just getting on with the job and once you're engrossed and getting on with the job i think you forget about being frightened <laughs> there's a big thing about well-being that scottish mountain rescue have now kind of come into it wasn't something that people considered before but you know our team and a lot of the southern teams were involved in the lockerbie disaster you know which years and years ago which was pretty traumatic the stuff that they were finding and nobody ever thought at that time that that could have an impact on team members that come across this kind of thing that you're not expected to in normal life however not squeamish you are different things can trigger you there's now quite a comprehensive well-being program some team members are trained as well-being officers and just can help you deal with stress and after effects and things that keep recurring in your head for me anyway the things that keep recurring are often just did i do that right could i have done better especially with the first aid stuff because often there isn't actually a right answer or a right way of doing it and you're constantly kind of doubting yourself so being able to talk that through with a team member or with your well-being officer and also finding feedback from the casualty or even if it wasn't a good outcome even their relatives that can make a massive difference to somebody just saying oh as soon as you arrived we felt better or thank you so much for being so sympathetic something like that you know that wipes away all those fears and just buoys you up for the next thing <laughs> do you remember your first call out yes my first one was retrieving a poor old fisherman who had probably died the way most fishermen would like to die which was standing in the river <laughs> he just had a heart attack face down into the water so again they were very very careful with me being my first call out have you seen a dead body before and all this kind of thing and it was fine they all treated it very normally so i just followed on it was very memorable but not for a stressful way you know we managed to get him retrieved and recovered the family were happy he'd been found at least and as i say he probably died the way that a lot of fishermen <laughs> would like to die that was quite memorable gives closure to the relatives as well as you were saying and today we're in binning woods Yeah. And you've mentioned to me that there was search here as well. Yeah. Would it be okay if you describe the memory? We were called out at three o'clock in the morning. Lady had gone missing. She was deemed vulnerable, so there was a bit of urgency because often we think, well, what's the point of calling us out in the dark? You know, she'd gone missing kind of sort of in the afternoon, I think, before, and had been thought to be somewhere in this area. So we met up at three in the morning. Me and one other teammate were sent on a kind of a hasty search just along some of these paths. Hasty 
is what it sounds like a very quick search something you can do quickly with not very many people a lot of missing people don't go out of their way to go into the undergrowth unless they're really trying to hide and things so sometimes the logical thing is just to walk the paths you know do, do what's obvious and it doesn't take too many you don't need to spread out and go through so a couple of you can do it and if you're on scene quickly then at least you can say well we've looked at as far as we can see from the path into the woods and it just helps to knock off one bit of the search area so me and this other guy had started walking along that big long track into the woods and I'll just remember it because we didn't actually find her there were search dogs involved as well and we had to be in an area that the search dogs weren't in because you can't confuse the sense we were searching in our area the guy I was with said do you know anything about mushrooms this is a great area for wild mushrooms and we were looking and you know as we were searching into the trees for the lady we were also sort of spotting clumps of mushrooms and then we sort of shone our torch in as we went on and found this big mound of what looked like lots of mushrooms said, look at that look at that and we ran over to it and then realized it was a bunch it was a whole lot of flowers on a grave and we were in the memorial graveyard and I hadn't even realized that existed there and we just kind of hallowed moment we just took a moment I thought crikey you know what a place to be buried and then we spent a couple of minutes just sort of gazing around reading some of the headstones and things it was uh, quite a surreal moment and then I got back on with our search <laughs> met up with people but it was uh, I'll always remember this place because of that <laughs> it is quite a memorable experience Kim phone call at three o'clock in the morning or during the night how do you deal with it because obviously there's a family and there's work that you're quite flexible with but how do you fit it in your daily life absolutely not easy I think most of my teammates will say that and my biggest worry is obviously my husband who's a flying instructor and you know he needs to be on top of his game to be flying little planes with people he can't help but worry when I go out not from my say but more from you know driving at night when I'm tired that worries him but I kind of try and lay that by saying well I'm going to meet up with so-and-so at Aberlady or Sutra and we'll drive the rest of it together you know so we'll be able to keep each other awake he's the one that I worry about and then once I've kind of said right I can contribute to the this one and I'm just going to go. Once I go then the adrenaline's going. Your mind is racing about what you can do and how you're going to approach it all. The call out is fine and then the driving back can be tricky but again if you can be sharing that with somebody that helps a lot to be able to get back. There has been a time that you just pulled over and just put your head down for half an hour and going again. But I know I'm absolutely rubbish the next day. <laughs> I'm bad tempered and head doesn't work properly and it takes me probably just my age, it takes me a couple of days to kind of get back to normal about it so I just have to snap at people and <laughs> try not to be bothered too much. We all chat about it afterwards on chat groups and things. How are you feeling this morning and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, you're not the only one that's feeling like that. And as long as you don't get too many in a row like that, you can pretty much recover and <laughs> get going again. Have you ever had a friend or a family member saying... Kim just give it up why why do you why do you continue <laughs> and if you me. did <laughs> yeah what was your answer no only at three o'clock in the morning <laughs> and I just have to just I love you but I'm just gonna have to go because <laughs> I love doing this as well and I think he kind of gets it <laughs> you do think about it sometimes the team leader has the biggest honours thing because he has to respond to every police call out and you know no matter whether he even attends the call out or not he's the communications hub basically between the police and us so you know his night is wrecked whatever happens you know occasionally occasionally I'll sleep through a page or I'll not even you know hear it and then you wake up the next morning oh shit I've just missed a call out and can I help <laughs> But team leader's uh, probably the most onerous position, really, because he can't never be on, off, you know, 
you can't ever be off duty. We're in East Lothian, we're in the woods, and when you hear mountain rescue, you think about the monroes and the mountains. So how is it different, and why is there a need here? We even call ourselves Border Search and Rescue, which I think sometimes people don't realise we're part of mountain rescue. We have the Lammermuirs and we have the Cheviots, which are mountains. We've got little nobles like Beric Law and the Traprain Law as well. It's a difficult kind of thing to get round, but we're a lot more than just getting people mountaineers and climbers out of difficulty you know people will get lost in woodlands the amount of people missing who have dementia who just go wandering is vastly increasing year on year i think the people despondents you know people kind of who either just want to get away from themselves or are contemplating suicide or just contemplating getting away and being lost for a bit that's massively increasing and probably will increase a lot after this last year i would think and you know woodlands i mean we're lost already <laughs> People at Woodlands are very easy to get lost in. So it doesn't have to be on a mountain. You can get lost and be cold and not find your way out of a big woodland like this, you know, two or three hours on a cold night. We've had dog walkers that have been racing after their dogs and the dogs have turned up absolutely fine and then they've found themselves completely lost. So it can happen to anybody. <laughs> so we do quite a lot of searching than people like the Cairngorm and Loch Aber and, you know, Ben Nevis and things like that. You know, Glencoe, they're always mountain call-outs pretty much that they're on because they have a lot more people that do it but we do have our work cut out for us sometimes just looking for people that have just got lost <laughs> and how did it change with covid was there a change over the last year because i think it might be really naive or silly assumption people started going out a wee bit more and people who normally wouldn't go walking yeah definitely some places a lot more so than us did definitely experience that people that don't normally walk maybe not as fit as they are so not as nimble on their feet so and trips and things increasing but a lot not navigating no idea about maps or anything they rely on their phones they don't realize their phones die when it's cold very quickly and they can get themselves into trouble or weather can change you know we had one group of ladies that decided to go on a not too ambitious walk up the Lammermuirs and got stuck in the wind farm because the mist came down and the wind farm is like a forest you know it's very confusing and difficult to negotiate if you've not got a map of it and don't know where you are the other big impact for us was we couldn't meet to train so all that team building and refreshment of skills just didn't happen we tried to do a lot on zoom which helps a little bit but it doesn't give you that kind of oh i can rely on you for that you can set up belays can you you know you've not done it for a year so that's a big big difference and just missing each other actually we would get together for call outs but on a much more limited basis it was very much more what's the minimum that we can deploy to this call out rather than the maximum because every call out for mountain rescue is a big covid risk because we have to crowd around a stretcher to carry it. We can't keep two metre distancing. You can't wear PPE properly in a hill walking environment. You're carrying masses of heavy equipment up a hill. You're sweating like mad. Your goggles are scheming up. You've got a mask on. Our PPE guidelines are that we should all have a kind of a Gore-Tex layer that can be stripped off and washed properly before we do it again. Everything has to be cleaned down. The vehicles have to be wiped. Every bit of equipment that somebody's touched has to be wiped. Even sharing a vehicle is a risk. So very quickly at 
to work out that you know one person would take charge of a vehicle and take the kit out of it and they were the only person that was touching where in the vehicle the kit was all that kind of thing that you just normally wouldn't need to think about so the call outs would take a lot longer both to get ready to get out and we would be with much fewer people because normally it's you know as many people as you can come because there's always something to do but this was kind of right what's the minimum that we can get away with i think we'll probably see a lot more mental health issues and people just needing to get away from everything and getting lost and things i think that will probably increase a lot this year this would be the prediction especially that in one way people realize that there is possibility to slow down but also it increased loneliness if you were by yourself and stuff and you know good for people to be getting out and realizing that they can exercise now i've never seen so many people walking on the beaches in east lothian you know and just walking marching you know they're just actually walking and that's brilliant to see but they start pushing themselves maybe and start taking themselves into areas that they're not used to and then you've got the people you know that are experienced that have just been desperate to get out on some craggy scary hill place (laughs) and they haven't done it for a year as well and you know (laughs) their climbing muscles are a bit stiff and that's a risk as well so we're kind of bracing ourselves a wee bit thinking we might be busier this year (laughs) and then one more question that came to my head when i was doing a wee bit of research the importance of the search on the ground versus like the helicopters and stuff how does that work (laughs) the helicopters are a brilliant resource they're not always available especially now they've been privatized you know there's less that can cover the ground but they are a resource for us and there was one call out i remember we had one that was pretty much along the border ridge and the target area was of people that had set off from sort of carter bar heading over towards kind of jedburgh or something which was a massive massive area of places a lot of big remote paths and over moorland and everything like that and even with our full team it would have been quite an onerous thing to have to look for and we all breathed a sigh of relief when we heard that the helicopter was coming to help us with that one. The weather sometimes doesn't allow it but they have kind of infrared and heat seeking cameras and things and big spotlights as well so they can be very useful. Another lady we had a dementia lady who had gone missing sort of just outside Eyemouth we got the helicopter to help look for her and the helicopter <laughs> spotted a heat source right on the flipping main railway line proper north-south railway line he then said he could also see where we were searching and we were in radio contact and the helicopter said two of your two search park groups are very close to this person and he said I'm going to point my spotlight at you at the groups concerned and you know they're the ones and it was a bit like I don't know if you remember there was a a lottery advert a few years ago you know it could be you and the light lit up (laughs) and sure enough me and this other guy were in the middle of a field and the searchlight turned round towards us and it was like oh my goodness we're close and then he said right I'm now going to point where the casualty is and you know we just went hell for leather team leader managed to get the rails get the train stopped so we could actually get onto the railway how she'd got onto the railway I have no idea this tiny tiny little lady she was all cut and bruised and exhausted but she was okay and uh, we managed to get her off safely thankfully driving back up the A1 that night you know the sun was rising at that point and I just thought that's amazing you know little lady's going to see another day you know just like we are and that really did feel great because there's a lot of searches that you do a lot of tramping about and don't find anything or they've you know they were in Blackpool or even anywhere near where we were looking for because there was a missing bit of information but when you actually find somebody like that and make a difference that was a massive massive boost (laughs) Mm -hmm.
and it must be a huge relief. What are the feelings that you've got after search, before the search, when the call-out happens? Like on a personal level, because obviously you do it for a reason. <laughs> if I think about what I feel like when a call-out comes, I wonder why the hell I'm doing it. <laughs> the adrenaline, it's absolutely, oh my goodness. Once you've weighed up the logistics, can I go, what's going to be affected and everything? Then I think actually, you know, the training then kicks in almost as soon as you're driving. You know, you've got the team radio on or you've got updates coming through on the database thing saying where the RV is and where people are gathering and who's being deployed where and all that kind of thing so you just start putting your mind towards it you know you start thinking well could they be here could they be there you know you're starting to sort of solve the problem as soon as you start driving sometimes if you get a run of ones that you never find anything you think why do we do it why are we doing it you know and then ever so often something happens and you know you do make a big difference and then you think now that's why we do it <laughs> well one of the things I love is if we've had a call out especially if it's been a nighttime call out is getting in my plane and flying over where it was during the day and piecing all the geography back together again and say oh that's where we were <laughs> it's, it's quite a good to have a mission when you go and fly and it's uh, I really enjoy just piecing it all together and seeing it in different light this mysterious herring road that I've talked about in the Lammermuirs this road from Dunbar to I think Lauder that the fishwives in Dunbar used to take massive basketfuls of herring into the borders and they used to go over the Lammermuirs on this sort of well-known road you know I love a named trail like that it's so magical the herring road so I've spent quite a few flights actually just trying to I've walked up there as well to try and piece it all together because it's been slightly kind of disrupted with the wind farms now and can be quite difficult you can start off walking on it and it looks very clear and then suddenly you've got a whole load of other very clear tracks as well that aren't the herring road (laughs) so I've been sort of doing a lot of kind of in my head using the plane to piece together all the landmarks and piece it all together so I know where it goes (laughs) that's actually amazing because I've recently had a chance to go up with Sarah yes and you think you see when you're on the ground, even if you go a wee bit higher, yeah. that you see and that you can patch it. Yeah. But from up there, it looks completely different. Completely different, yeah. It's really good. And I, you know, I love maps as well. So being able to piece together, you know, what you see on a flat ordnance survey map and then seeing it from the ground and then also seeing it from the air, it just gives you a brilliant kind of awareness. This wood looks brilliant from the air. You know, there's these two big circular clearings in it that are very noticeable and striking. So it was great to sort of actually know what that meant when you're walking through it and see where we were it's just a really nice way of rounding off a call out I think sometimes and it sort of helps you consolidate it a bit almost you know and sort of um, put it to bed I've got a few couple of teammates who promised to take sort of flying over there's one guy in particular who knows parts of the Cheviots just like the back of his hand the Cheviots are amazing and there are all sorts of kind of crashed war aircraft and things there wreckage that you can you know where to look and I think he knows where to look I don't think we would see it from the air but it would be the all because all the valleys and things look the same when you're walking it's quite difficult to piece it all together in your head so I definitely want to take him down and uh, get him to give me a wee guided tour over the Cheviots and point out where all these different places in the interests of improving my own navigation I think. <laughs> just going back to the skills you've just mentioned navigation what about the physical fitness what was the most challenging for you and how do you keep it? <laughs> when I first joined I think I joined in the December and February it was the annual winter skills weekend which was up at Rothy Marcus in the Cairngorms big days and it was the winter when there wasn't an awful lot of snow but of course our training officer had found a patch of snow kind of four hours down the Larry grew so we had a four hour hike to get in in not very good conditions to get this patch of snow so that we could do our ice axe breaking and a bit of ice climbing and things he then decided we would it was on the side of it was a place called Corrie Brochen which actually in Gaelic means porridge <laughs> 
Um, I'll always Tasty. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we did a wee climb. It's on the side of Breiriach, one of the big Munros up there. So we did a climb up to the summit of Breiriach and then came down. It was absolutely foul weather by the time we came down. We had goggles on and everything, you know, just driving sleet. I had no idea where we were or what we were doing. I was just trying to get through it. But obviously, you know, some team members are much better at navigating and things that way. We got back to the lodges and uh, everybody was knackered. And of course, that was my first real experience with them. And I'm thinking, bloody hell, you know, they're fit. I don't think I can keep up with this. And then uh, the medical officer came out sort of just before tea when everybody was sort of falling asleep in their beers. I said, right, who else needs uh, painkillers, ibuprofen, paracetamol? And they're all putting their hands up. And I'm thinking, oh, thank God for that. <laughs> they're not all t- totally superhuman. <laughs> and then the next day there was definitely a plea for a more gentle walk. So I thought, nah, that's fine. I'll just... <laughs> That was exceptional, but it was a bit of a baptism of fire. <laughs> Sounds like it. And do you continue with the training when you're not? I do. You know, I do make quite an effort to try and keep basically fit. It's, it's, you're fighting a, the battle of age all the time. As I said, I'm the oldest girl there, lady there, <laughs> by quite a distance. So I do feel kind of a bit of pressure to try and keep up with them. I'm definitely not as fast as the, the younger ones. And the other big thing is you're carrying a massive pack all the time which somebody my height is not. It's a bit of a different matter from what the guys carry. So I find that very wearying and tiring as well. So I do try and do kind of a bit of weights training and strength training and I do a lot of cycling and you know we go hill walking as often as we can as well. So I do have a bit of a kind of a, a mission to keep myself as fit as I can. <laughs> I think you would have to if you want to participate. Oh definitely yeah. It's uh, There's absolutely no good even if I am the kind of first aider. If I can't actually get up to a casualty then I'm no use. <laughs> Thank you so much, Kim. That's been amazing. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> It's been nice talking about it. <laughs> It was great to accompany Kim on a walk that she once did when she was searching for someone. I enjoyed learning about the mountain rescue and I wished I had Kim's energy and stamina. If you wish to support or learn more about the Border Search Rescue Unit, visit their Facebook page at Border SAR. This was the 13th episode of Just Stories podcast. Marzena Farana-Sherlock, thank you for listening. If you enjoy those conversations, please subscribe and leave a few words for the review. You can tune in to Just Stories podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean platform. See you in two weeks.